Everybody just lift your hands. And just say, Father, I give my heart and my life to you. Today I give my mind to you. Today I give everything that's been worrying me and stressing me and taking my thoughts. And I just lay it on your altar right now. Because there's nothing I can do about it. But you're still in control. And I relinquish my stress and my pressure and all the things and the chaos to you. And I thank you that you still love me and that you still have a plan for my life. And I trust that plan more than what I see, what I feel, because I know your word will never pass away. And though this body will pass away and our jobs and our careers and everything that's got us so worried will pass away, you will never pass away. What you made us to be will never pass away. So Father, we thank you that you made us more than what we do. You made us more valuable than what we can perform or accomplish. Because in what you made us to be in your son Jesus is special and holy and you desire that and you desire a relationship with that. So, Father, I just ask that you speak to the hearts of your people. I ask you to change their minds and bring a spirit of repentance that you would open their ears, that you would open their eyes, and we would see and hear you, Lord. We thank you for every person in the room. We bless you. We honor you, Father, and we love you. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, guys. Appreciate y'all. Zach and Jessica, y'all are blessing to have y'all back. Wave your hand there so everybody knows. This is Zach. There's his lovely wife there. They came all the way over here from Fayetteville to help us this morning because all of our ladies are, are gone. We appreciate you guys so much. and it's such a blessing to, to be back with you guys and to see you all again. If you don't know these guys, give them a hug and love on them and before they leave, see some new faces. Welcome, guys. You're welcome here. Um, I guess we'd like to say we know what we're doing, but I don't know. We just, we try to let the Lord do what he wants. Sometimes we get in the way of that, but at least we're honest, right? And we do our best. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad everybody's here. Uh, for those of you who have children and you want to send them back, you can. If you want to keep them with you, you can do that as well. They're a blessing no matter where they are, and uh, we're glad you brought them. Is everybody doing good this morning? Are you sure? Chuck, it's good to see you, man. You snuck in on me. <laughs> Shane, you made it. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for coming. We're going to get started. I have some things on my heart here. I'm not sure how they're going to be unpacked. One of the things that I feel in the, in the Word of God that are the most dangerous are the things that we think we know. I've been in church long enough to know that we get certain like little knee-jerk reactions when we start to hear certain verses that we think we understand. Sometimes our brain just goes, whoop. <laughs> but you know how many times you sit in counseling with somebody? Anybody ever counsel anybody? Nobody? Just me? Yeah. A few people counsel people. You sit down and you try to help them. And maybe they've been in church for a long time. You start trying to tell them exactly what's going on in their life. And the first thing they say is what? I know. I know. Listen, I know. I know. I know. 
And I'm thinking, if you knew, you wouldn't be in the position you're in. Right? Okay? Just because you think you know doesn't mean you've become what, you've, what you know. The Word and the flesh are two different things, but joined together, they look like Jesus. The Word is supposed to embody the flesh. All of the Word of God is supposed to be incarnate. In other words, what God speaks is what we are to be. It's not what we're supposed to understand. In fact, half the time we don't understand what we are because it's coming out of us so organically and so powerfully and it can only be God. It's undefinable yet totally experiential. And this is why people can't get their handle on it because they try to understand the things of the Lord and the things of the Lord are reserved in the hearts of people. He hides his greatest testimony in you. Not in what you know, but in who you are and what you've become and what he allows to come out of your life as you allow him to come into his. Are you with me? So in other words, I want you to maybe take everything you think you know every two or three years and just trash it and start over again. Because as I begin to go in God, I begin to understand that the things that I think I know are holding me back from the things he's taking me into. And I've said this for years, but the, the, big, the greatest danger to your new season is the old one. The greatest danger to your new revelation is the old one you had of him. And the old one we've had of him, we want to shake it and throw it in everybody's face and show everybody how smart and revelatory and great and anointed we are. However, Jesus is no longer there. He's moved on. <laughs> Why? Because the object is not to just know him in singularity. It's to know him in totality. It's, it's okay to, to know Jesus as, as, as the Savior. Praise God, we know him as Savior. But you know he's more than that. And if you only know him as Savior your entire life, you miss knowing who he is in complete uh, totality. And the, uh, the heart of God is not given so that we can just know a piece of him. The heart of God is given so we can know all of him. And we can only know him in the degree he, re he reveals himself through us. Listen, your, your personal Bible studies don't get you to help, help you know who Jesus is. I know you think they do, but that's not where he's revealed. You know where he's revealed? As you begin to go and do the work, knowing you're one with him, something comes out of you that's way bigger than you, and it turns everything around in the situation, and you see how big he is. You know a new side of him because you've experienced through you, and they've seen it too, and it's a dual understanding in an instant moment. God is revealed through his people, not through the study of his word. Should we study his word? Absolutely. But we study his word so that when he's ready to reveal himself, he has the word to reveal it through us. That as we speak, we're speaking as he is, not as we think him to be. Because in that moment, he's greater than our understanding. He's greater than our revelation. And the new wine that's flowing out of us is pouring into people who are thirsty. And as we give, we're refilled. This is why you can only go so far with Jesus if you don't start reaching out to people who need him. The church dies in its pew because she chokes on her own revelation. She won't give what she's been given. Therefore, it becomes sour in her spirit. Because the things of God are supposed to be fluid. They're supposed to go and move. We live and move and have our being in Him. When we sit here and elevate what we think we know in front of people, they don't care what we know. They care who we are. And we're supposed to embody the king. You with me? 
We don't go on outreach or we don't go talk to somebody about Jesus because they need to know in knowledge and gnosis about him. They need to know him in intimacy and understanding. The only way that's going to happen is as the spirit of life flows out of you. And that doesn't happen because you've got a big head. Because you know a lot of verses. Praise God, you know verses. You should memorize the, memorize the word of God, but that's not the point. The Bible says the new covenant of Jesus Christ was promised in this, that I will put a law in their minds and I will write it in their hearts and they will be my people and I will be their God. Yeah. I mean, I've known people who don't know the word very well, but by the Spirit emulate Jesus better than people who have most of it memorized. Because God wants people to know him. How are they going to know him? Through you. Has anybody ever been healed in this place from something in their body? God's healed them. Look at all the hands. That's awesome. How did God do it? Through, through somebody. Somebody said that. God did it through somebody. True or not? The revealed power of God came through someone. It didn't happen. I mean, some, I'm not saying God can't do it supernaturally. He does a lot of times. But nine times out of ten, he uses people. You know why that's dangerous for us? Because if God happens to use a person that you don't particularly care for, you're going to miss your blessing. See, sometimes God will completely wreck your theology by giving the answer to your prayer to someone you have a, an emotional problem with. And your blessing is held up by your problem with the emotion. Sometimes God will give you a specific word and it's withheld in somebody else's mouth, but you don't receive it because you see their poor character here and here and here. Because if I judge the vessel, then I judge the word unworthy. Raise your hand in here if you're worthy outside of Jesus. You're not. In him you are. Outside of him, you're not. And so the point being is that the word of God comes, it comes for the manifestation of you and us knowing him. That's the word, that's the intention of God. You ever wonder what life's purpose is? It's real simple, to know him. That's it. That's why you're alive. It's not to make money. It's not to be successful. The grave will pull that all out of your hands. It's to know him. You with me? To know the Lord. You can't know God without people. I know you, I know, listen, I'm not undermining the secret place. It may know what the secret place is. That's where you stop and you go into your closet or your room and you shut the door and you put some worship on and you, need, and you meet with Jesus. That's absolutely essential and vital. But it's only one side of the coin. You can't know God unless you know people. The more you isolate from people, the more you're isolating yourself from the word of the Lord. Because in someone else has a gift of God given specifically to them that may be the answer to your prayer, but yet you're so um, to isolated that you don't, you don't receive what God's giving you. We, we like to think that we have all, you know, I have Jesus, so I have everything. No, Jesus gave you a body, which has the rest of what you don't. See, if, if you were everything, you wouldn't need the church. You're one part of the body. And I know you see things just like I do. We're, we're flawed in that way. No matter how, how much Jesus touches us, we're flawed. You see things through your gift. You can't help it. The problem is, is that there's a lot more to see than just what you see. And if you think you're just right all the time based upon what you see, you're missing the other element that can actually help catapult what you have, and you're missing that part. 
my hand is useless without my wrist. You with me? The hand does things the wrist doesn't do, but without the wrist, the hand is completely, completely frozen. You with me? To know God. I know that you think that you know him where you're at in this part of your life. I know him where I'm at this part of my life, but there's more to know. So I said the most dangerous thing that you can come across in your life is thinking that you've come to a place where you're, where you're okay. That the revelation that God's giving you is so great and powerful. It, it, it was and it is, but there's more. Zach read the scripture in Isaiah 6. See, Isaiah was a seasoned prophet at this time. He wasn't just a newbie. Like, all of a sudden, he gets called, and then, you know, you know, this is his calling in Isaiah 6. No, there's something that happened there. A new season shifted. The king died. In other words, it was a transfer of power. All of the old began to be moved away. Everything became new, and, then God, and, he, and he sees God in a, in a new way. Imagine a seasoned prophet who's been speaking the word of the Lord, sees God in a new element, and then has to change his message because all of a sudden he realizes, everything I've spoke up to this point has been dirty. Clean my lips, oh God. But we think, oh, well, I speak truth. <laughs> Do you? Wait till you see him as truth, and, and we'll see if the message is the same. Because what is truth without mercy and love? It's death. It's religion. It's chaos. You with me? Okay. All right, I want you to turn to, let me see, I'm going to jump around here. Please help me get through this, Father. All right, so Genesis chapter 32, I want to show you an interesting story here. And I'm going to try to make all this connect for us. There's two parts to knowing God. One is the personal relationship that you have with Jesus. And then the other part is the corporate relationship. Without community, you're going to miss a massive part of, of knowing Jesus. People will begin to do and be things that you need them to be in your life. And therefore, they express God in a way that you've never seen. Right? Like for me, I'm a pretty serious person. I'm, I'm pretty... It's hard to live with me. Praise God, my wife is... She's awesome. Y'all wouldn't tolerate me for a week. She's tolerated me for 19 years. And we're going to get another 19. So, pray for her. <laughs> but I'm not a humorous guy most of the time. I'm, I'm, but I love being around people who have that part of the Lord. Because it just, it makes my heart happy. I'm like, that's awesome. You know? Everybody else thinks they're acting like a goofball or whatever, and I'm just like, that's, that's really cool. I like it. You know, I go, that's, that's so childish. You know, that's, what we're, that's the goal. That's the goal, right? I love the parts of the body that I can't, I can't be. This is a story of Jacob. Jacob has gone through a lot in his life up to this point, okay? You guys know the story? Most of you do. And Jacob, Jacob's run his whole life. He's run from God. He's run from the plan of God. He's used his own way, his own means, his own power, his own, his own methods to get what he's wanted. He's manipulated. He's done everything he's supposed to do uh, in the flesh to get what he wants. But yet he's completely just miserable. 
He knows he's got a call of God on his life. There's something burning in his heart. He knows he's supposed to have a blessing. He knows he's supposed to be one with God. He knows that he's got something deeper than what he currently possesses, and he's fought and he's scratched and he's clawed his entire life to get to where he's at, and yet it absolutely means nothing to him. Sound familiar? All of us who have accepted Jesus have been at that place at some point in our life, have we not? You with me? So it says that that same night, Jacob, he rose, he took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 children, and crossed the fort of Jabrick. The reason he's doing this is because Esau's coming, and he thinks he's going to kill him. Because Jacob ripped off his brother Esau a few years ago, and now Esau's coming back, and he's scared for his life. So he sends his women and his children ahead, so that way he can uh, face Esau in safety. And he sets him across the stream. And everything that he had, in verse 24, Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, and he touched the, the hollow of his thigh, the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then this man said, let me go, because the day is breaking. And Jacob said, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. And he said, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Jacob. And he said, you're no longer going to be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and man, and you have prevailed. And then Jacob asked, well, please tell me your name. And he said, why do you want to know my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel for saying, I have seen God face to face, and my life has been spared. This story is very interesting to me because, one, I don't, I don't understand it in the flesh. Okay. The man that, Je that, that Jacob was wrestling with was Jesus. You see Jesus all in the Old Testament as a pre-incarnate form of Christ in Melchizedek, in the, in the, the warrior that Joshua meets in, uh, in this story here. Jesus was all through the, the Old Testament in a pre-incarnate form. And so this is Jesus wrestling with Jacob, and it's the Son of God wrestling with what's supposed to be the Son of Israel. And you have this interaction here, and I'm thinking, well, Jesus is super powerful. He can do anything. Like, he's... Why doesn't he just, you know, thump him in the back of the head and move on? Why did Jacob have such an authority over, over, over the presence of God in that moment? Why, why couldn't God leave? Because God's desire met Jacob's desire in that moment. And Jacob's desire to know him held God to him in a way that God himself couldn't break. And when our desire to know Him goes beyond what we feel in anything else, and we hold on to Him, then His desire to be one with us is now complete. And what happens in that transformation? What happens in this wrestling? What happens in this moment? We see everything completely turn around in Jacob's life. Those of you who haven't heard the Sonship series, we have them on the um, podcasts, thanks to Eric here, and you can get with him and figure all that out. But you need to go listen to him, because I, I, I preach several messages on Sonship and, and, and the authority of, of identity and where it starts in Scripture and how it goes all the way through Revelation, starting in Genesis, going all the way to the, to the Bible. It's, it's, the, it's the essential authority of everything that God established through His Son. Very important to know, but why does He do that? Why does God reestablish our identity? To make us feel better about ourselves so we can run around and skip and frolic and say, I'm a son of God. No. Because only a son can reveal the Father. 
and it's the Father's desire to be revealed. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, but you guys understand. Let me, let me say it this way. Would you think it miraculous if God showed himself as love? Would you think it miraculous if he showed himself as healer by himself? Like just God coming down and just without humans, just showing himself as love. Would you think that would be a miracle? No, I mean, it's, it's who he is. It's not a miracle for God to show himself as love. He is love. Would you, would you think it a miracle for him to come down and just all of a sudden heal everybody? Do you think that's hard for God to do? See, we can know him as a lot of different things. But there's only one way to know him as Father. And that requires another person. See, it's not a miracle for God to show himself powerful in all these other ways. But the world thinks it's absolutely miraculous when they, they see God in us. Why? Because we're sons. Sons what? What do they do? They reveal the Father. You with me? So in other words, what I'm saying is, is that if God reveals all of his nature to the entire world without us, the entire world will still not know him as Father. Because it takes a son to reveal a father. You have the magnificent privilege and power of God on your life to do one thing well. To reveal Abba. Imagine that burden of that weight that, that you carry. Your job is to reveal the father. Because it takes a son to reveal the father. The father can't be revealed without. In fact, if you take the word father, if you take son away from the word father, the father ceases to be father. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? If you take you out of the equation, he can't be revealed as he is. Do you understand how much God limited himself by creating you? There's people in here who have never had kids. There's young people in here who have never had children. You're not known as a father. But once you have a child, you reveal that you are a father. The, the fact of what you've created reveals you as a creator, as a father. You with me? So what's the point of Christianity? To come to church and have a good week? To maybe get to a point where you feel good about yourself and you can kind of like not listen to the devil anymore. No, there's so much more. You are not created to play defense. And the enemy coming at you all week long is nothing but a distraction to keep you from one thing. Your job, which is to reveal the Father. Do you realize no matter what circumstance comes to your life this week, next week, the week after that, every circumstance possesses within itself a massive ability for you to release who he is into it. That people can define who God is based upon how you approach what's going on in your life and theirs. 
We are to reveal the Father. Jesus didn't reveal the Father in his secret place. That was between him and his Father. That's just for him and Daddy. When he came to the world, what he did to the world was what he revealed when what he saw here. And you can do this all day long and accomplish nothing. Should you do that? Absolutely. You should be on your face. Because when you're on your face in your prayer closet, that's when God deals with you. Why does God deal with you? To show you how bad you are? To show you all the stuff that's still in your life? To show you how a sinner you are? To show you all the, the, the crap and all the... What, what, he brings that stuff up in, in you, doesn't he? He says, hey, remember that feeling you felt about that guy last week? Was that me or you? Oh, Jesus, that was me. He's like, I'd like to take that from you. And you're like, okay, God, here, I give it to you. And you think, oh, that's so awesome. I had this wonderful time with Jesus. Why did he take it from you? This is where you get hung up in your own faith. You think he took it because he's just good to you. No, he took it from you because it was affecting your ability to reveal him to others. That's the point. It's amazing we can even make everything that God did about us and our personal relationship. You know, there's people who idolatrize their personal relationship with Jesus over God himself. Well, I just have a personal relationship with Jesus, brother. Well, that's, that's good. Where are you manifesting it? Well, I don't have to listen to that because I just have my own personal line. I got a direct line. Why do you have a direct line? What's the point of having a direct line so you can walk around and show everybody how spiritual and holy you are and how much you pray and how much you know the word and how much you do? No, it's to reveal the Father by nature. By your nature. You guys that are married, you understand that word, nature is more powerful than word. Huh? You can say to your wife, I love you, but if you're really mad and you're clenched teeth and you're just, oh, I love you, and you're like, okay, yeah. But when you're washing the dishes, because you weren't told to or you didn't have to, you came in from a hard day at work, what, what are you saying? I love you. Yeah. Occasionally I try to get at the attention of my wife and I'll be washing the dishes while she's gone or something. I'll take a selfie, try to. <laughs> she thinks it's sexy. <laughs> she don't care how I look it's just maybe I'll watch, wash the dishes every once in a while <laughs> nature nature is how we reveal them true or not you with me alright so Jacob's wrestling with God here one thing I want to point out is his faith didn't quit. Why did, why did his faith not quit in this situation? Because who he saw himself to be apart from God was so desperate that he couldn't let go. When you have a proper relationship, of, a proper understanding of who you are without him, you will pursue him with a vengeance. It's when we don't understand what we are without him that we lose the passion to pursue him. You say, well, I'm made a new species in Christ. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. But don't ever forget. Don't ever, ever forget what you were without him. 
Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget what you were without him. I stop sometimes and I look at what I used to be and I'm like, God, thank you so much. Thank you for rescuing me from me. I was the greatest version of hell that, that I could ever become without you. So he begins, he doesn't quit. But we can only begin to know God once we begin to fully know who we are without him. So Jesus looks at him and says, all right, fine. You're not going to let me go. I want to be with you. You want to be with me. Your desire for me to hold on to me meets my desire to hold on to you. So he asks him a question, what's your name? So he says, Jacob, which means cheater or supplanter. I'm a, I'm a hypocrite and I'm a thief. I'm this without you. I'm that without you. He says, no, you're not going to be that any longer. You're now going to be called a prince with God. Why did he change his name? So that through Jacob, the promise of the seed and that promise of Abraham would be passed through and a nation would be born. A nation that God's desire was for to show the rest of the world a people who brought them to him. God's entire mission for Israel was to be a nation to the Gentiles, to show the light of the world, and all nations come to him through that one nation. Well, they drop the ball. And so Jesus says, okay, I'm going to provoke you back to jealousy from other nations. In other words, I'm going to give the gospel to people like you and me. And through what we do, we're going to bring them back to glory. Why? Because you know the word? Jews don't care about your rendition of scripture. There has to be something inside of you that's so great in a character form of power and reality that the essence of what's coming through you speaks to the roots of what God made them to be and it calls forth the bud to branch again. This is beyond us. Which is why we have to find our face on our face before him. You with me? He says, that's not how you're going to identify with yourself. You're going to identify with me now. This is what God tells us to do. You're going to identify with what I've made you to be because I have a purpose for you. And every situation that I take you through is so that you can know me. It's interesting that Jacob came away from this encounter with weakness. We think coming to know God Walks us walk out of the room like, you know, this lion, you know. We're going to come out of our secret place like a lion, you know. No, if you really come away from really knowing him, you're going to walk away limping. There's going to be something about you that he just totally makes look like Jesus. You think, well, Jesus is powerful. No, I mean, he came as a baby. Do you know how easy it is to kill a baby? He rode a donkey. That's not glorious. I mean, come on, you know. Who wants to ride a donkey? Not me. I don't want to ride a horse either, but that's okay. We'll let him do that. It takes a son to reveal the father. So what's your job? In other words, let me, let me say it this way. What does God believe that you can do? Anything, but the main thing 
He believes you to have the ability to reveal him. And that's what people are waiting for. What does it say in Romans 8? All creation groans and longs. What? For the revealing of the sons of God. Why is creation groaning and longing for the revelation of the sons? Because when the sons are revealed, who else is revealed? Thus fulfilling all creation. Thus fulfilling the the, the heart cry and and the heartbeat of all creation. Creation has a rhythm that has, is, that's out of order right now. It's out of order. It's offbeat. And when we, re- we are revealed as the sons of God, they automatically see the Father. Why? Because Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. His goal for our life is to get to such a point, whether it's in our marriage or our workspace or whatever it is, that if people have seen you, they've also seen him. That's the point. That's why you come to church. Because whenever you communalize with somebody and you see God in them in a way that you can't produce yourself, it changes you. And when it changes you, it gives you the authority to now act in the power that you've been given to reveal God in the way you've been shown. I need you to show me what God looks like in you so that I can know him. But most church people are Jacobs because they're stealing and cheating people out of the identity of father that's inside of them because they believe a lie. We believe how we feel or, or, or what's going on in our life and we empower the circumstance. Listen, you think, you think, well, I don't have any power. You have so much power, you've empowered the enemy to the point where he is completely wrecking you. And you think, oh, the devil, the devil, he's so strong. He's strong because you gave him your power. Have you guys ever been under, underneath the weight and the blanket of depression? Like real depression? Do you know what that is? That's your own authority against you. Depression is, God, is the enemy using your own authority against you. How powerful does that feel in that moment? That's how much power you actually have. Why don't you put it on the devil instead of on you? He can feel just like us. Why are you kidding? See? Somebody's going to amen me if you guys don't. Put it on the enemy. Make him feel that way. I mean, come on, do you think he felt good after Jesus whipped him in the, in the wilderness? But how did Jesus feel in the wilderness? He was starving to death. You think he was just roaring lion? God sends lambs into battle. He doesn't send lions into battle. He's the lion. Nowhere in there just says we're the lion. Nowhere in there. Who's the lion? He is. What are we? We're lambs. We're sheep. He says, I send you out like sheep amongst. God believes so powerfully in your weakness that even the enemy cannot take you out. Because in the power of weakness is the revelation of of Abba. You say, well, how is that biblical? Because when Jesus died on the cross, he was the weakest he could possibly be. But it was the moment where he revealed the Father in the most powerful way that has ever been revealed. And what you're running from in your life is your authority to take over your situation. The pain that you're trying to get out of is the weakness God's trying to offer you to reveal who he is in that situation. 
I'm so sick of scrolling through Facebook and seeing people to define narcissism because they've been hurt by it. Oh, congratulations. You just beat the narcissist because you defined him and exposed him. Narcissists need love too. And you can't, if you can't love them, then you see where your love ends. Do you know what you know what happened? Well, I've been, you don't understand what they've done to me. Then be bigger than them. Love them, and you will surpass them, and their power has no more authority over you. Sitting there figuring it all out, what they did wrong and defying, this is what narcissism does. I don't care what narcissism does. I care what Jesus does, and that's who I want to be like. Hurt people, all they do is suck on their own wound until they're sick. When they're healed the entire time, they just don't believe it. You understand what I'm saying? He is the answer to everything. Not just Jesus, but the Father. It's so crazy to me. We pray the Lord's Prayer. We don't even realize the power behind it. Do you, do you understand? And I think maybe you've heard this before, but, but do you understand? Do you understand the position that Jesus put us in when he taught us how to pray? Nobody, nobody in the Old Testament, not one rabbi would address God as Abba. We, we, we talk about it like it's just nothing today. Oh, well, Father, this Father. You know, do you realize that these guys were given the right to call God Father before they were saved? Why? Because Jesus was so sure of the work he was going to do as a son that he outdated time and brought the reality of life to us before we even received it. That's the power of a son. They don't live in the now. They live in a, a moment that yet not has, not, has not yet happened. And they bring it to a tangible reality for everybody else who's just sucked into the now. People who live for the now, and right, just right now, they're going to miss everything because what's going to happen is that all the circumstances are going to swallow them. My Bible says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. You know how you get through your now? You find the resurrection power of life that he's placed inside of you by the victory that he's claimed on the cross. And you bring it into your now so people can see Abba now and not later. Do you understand how anybody got something hard going on in their life right now? One person. Man, you guys are blessed. I'm pretty, we need to find a new congregation for this message. That moment that you have, that difficulty, that God is desperately saying, you're my son. And the only way I can be seen in that moment is through you. Because God has desires and hopes and dreams too. We forget that. We think he's some sort of sterile grandpa sitting on a throne, rocking up and down, and going, well, they're going to be here soon. Where did you get the ability to feel? From him. Do you think he gave you 
all of his capacity to feel. No, he only gave you a grain of sand on the seashore of emotion because you can't bear everything he feels. It would kill you if you felt what God felt for one second. So God has a desire. What is his pounding desire? That people would know him. Because when we know him, guess what? He knows us. The more we know him, the more he knows us. Why? Because when we know him, we're changed into his image, and he knows himself. This is why Matthew 7 says, I don't know you. He doesn't, I always thought that was interesting, that he didn't say, you don't know me. So what's the criteria? Is it us thinking we know him, or is it him knowing he knows us? See, the only way that he knows us is if we operate under the identity of the son he gave us to emulate. And the son did one thing. Well, he did two things. Well, he did a lot of things. But two things. He destroyed the works of the devil, and he revealed the father. What's your job? Same thing. Same thing. Live as if every moment you're impregnating the situation with the nature of Abba. I've, had, I've done things before for people and been, you know, situations and circumstances that I, I don't even remember doing it or being it or I, I have no recollection of it at all. I see some head shaking. You guys have been there. You understand. You, you, this is what I'm saying is that every moment that God is in your life and you're emulating him, you are, you, are, you are shaking the powers of darkness and you are tearing down strongholds in people's minds and you're building something that reveals the nature of Father and then they come to you years later and they're like, remember that time when you said that to me? I'm like, no, <laughs> I have no clue of it. I'm sorry, I probably did. Maybe I didn't. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit through me. I don't know who. I don't know where I end and God begins anymore. It's a line that cannot be drawn. And that's where you're supposed to be either. Where people are, are, are like, wait, 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 this is so crazy and powerful. This guy, this woman is in my life. And it is, it's so much love and there's so much patience and there's so much kindness and there's so much, just, she's reaching out to me. She loves me. He, he's, he's helping me. I, is this God or is this man? It's both. That's the gospel. Is when you get so in one with Jesus, not because you profess it out of your mouth, but because you allow the revelation to become out of you into people's lives. You get so close to that moment that you can't, people can't tell where you end and God begins. It's, it's, it's like the Old Testament. You know, have you ever read the Bible in the Old Testament? I've, I've had atheists say, well, you know, the Bible's wrong, full of errors and all this stuff. At one, one point in the Old Testament, it says God wrote the, the, the Ten Commandments, and the other, there's another story where it says Moses wrote them. Well, the Bible's wrong, so therefore it's, 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 it can't be trusted. No, both are true. Because that's how God works. God wrote them, and so did Moses. See, let me say this. Somebody said it last night, Jesus. Now, was it you, the author and finisher of our faith? Were you talking about that? Or was that Brian? Somebody was talking about it. <clears throat> the Bible says that he's the author and the finisher of our faith. True or not? But do you understand that Moses wrote the commandments, but yet God wrote the commandments? Right? You guys remember in, 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 in the New Testament, Paul says, you are our epistle. 
right? We wrote you. So who's writing, who's authoring and finishing? Is it him or is it us? Oh, it's just the Lord. He's going to author and finish it. No, no. He's going to author and finish it through you. When we think it's just him, it creates this sterile idea. We're just going to step back and, well, Lord, just author my life. He's like, no. No, how about we both hold the pen? See, every time I challenge a person in their thought process and I preach in a way that causes them to consider something other than what they've seen before, I'm tearing down a stronghold in their mind. And in doing that, what I'm doing is hoping that they're going to grab a hold of that by faith instead of a lie and begin to continue to tear down the stronghold. And as that happens, both God and I are authoring something in that person's life that's going to be a praise and a glory unto Jesus Christ at the end day. And then guess what? If they, if they have accomplished that and taken that into their head, they're going to learn by what they've been shown, and they're going to do it in someone else. And then as they do it in someone else, I get the same reward because it was my message. And then as it goes on and on and on, we all share in the same reward. Do you realize that by faith in accepting Jesus Christ as righteous, you get the same reward as Abraham? In fact, you might even get a greater one because it says all of these have longed to see what you're seeing now and yet could not see it but saw it by faith. You embody Jesus in a way Abraham could not. He is in you. The power of that to reveal the Father. You don't just believe in him, you possess him. Have you ever seen a demon-possessed person? They are filled with darkness. You are filled with light. God possesses you. Why? So you can be powerful and strong? No, so you can be a lamb and reveal him. That's the nature. Lambs reveal him. Quit trying to make people be right and show them who God is and they'll change. I was talking to somebody the other day, and I've done it. We've all done it. You know, somebody says something, and it's off, and we want to correct them, Facebook especially. Listen, you have an absolute 0% chance of correcting somebody you're not in covenant with. However, the more you're in covenant with somebody and they see the nature of father in your life, when it's time to bring a correction, you'll bring it as a father and they'll receive it. The lack of relationship produces an abundance, abundance of controversy. I have people that come by all the time calling us this and calling us that, calling us a cult, calling, us, you know, calling me all kinds of things. You know, the, the thing is, is I don't care because I don't listen to anything they have to say. I get letters in my mailbox because I block them on Facebook, and I'm like, you know what, I don't have time for you. And then they find out my address. I'm surprised they haven't knocked on my door. You know why they haven't knocked on my door? Because they're cowards. 
I throw their letters in the trash. You know why? Because I won't receive a correction from anyone who's not made covenant with me. If somebody walks with me and bleeds with me and suffers with me and rejoices with me and stands with me, and then they come to me and say, bro, you really need to look at this part of your life. Then through that relationship, that revealing is going to cause me to go, man, I really value this person. And if they see something, I, I probably better, I better take this to the Lord. Why? Because they revealed the nature of Father to me. What, what, what good father walks into his children's room and just rebukes the snot out of them and corrects them in such a harsh way and then leaves the house and never comes back? That's what passerby prophets do. And these passerby prophets don't realize that the office of prophecy was one of the massive, one of the most overhauled offices from the Old and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, people operate now the way old, they try to operate now the way Old Testament prophets did. In the, in the New Testament prophets, they're supposed to be given for exhortation, encouragement, and building up of the saints. But they want to come in and chop everybody out with their truth and murder the whole family. Listen, you come into my family swinging a machete, I'm going to punch you in the face. It's the same thing with this here. You're my family. Somebody comes in and starts wrecking you and sowing negativity and doubt, they're never coming back. And they can call me whatever they want. I'll still die happy. You with me? Oh, I got too much in here, guys. Let me see. I'm going to try to pick the best of what I have left and then close. Jesus said, as, I, as, as, as the Father sent me, what? So I send you. To do what? Heal the sick and raise the dead? No. Why do, you, why do you heal the sick and raise the dead? To reveal the Father. But people are like, oh, man, this guy, he can heal the sick and raise the dead. And we just, you know. But if the Father's not revealed, you guys understand the Antichrist can do the same? Listen, you better read your Bible. Because power and signs and wonders are going to be massive in the end times. And if you think somebody can heal the sick, then it makes them a man of God. You're deceived already. I've been in ministry long enough to watch pastors who, are, who have complete hidden sin and haven't been exposed operate under the anointing, laying hands on people, then falling out under the Spirit of God, getting healed, and then all of a sudden they get caught in an adulterous relationship or a, or a homosexual relationship or some sort, of, some sort of sin or some sort of something in their life that gets exposed. And you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. What about all the power? Power means nothing. Revelation of who God is and being a son is everything. You with me? Oh, let's see. I already read that. In Luke, in Luke 14, there's a story where uh, a king has a wedding for his son. And he sends out all these invitations. He 
sends out all these invitations. Can you imagine this? In the, in the story, the king is God. The son is Jesus. Who gets the invitation? We do. Do you understand the, the, the power and the magnitude of, of a God who wants you to sit at his table? That's his desire. He wants you to sit at his table. Like he's got a place for you at his table. That overwhelms me. I mean, he's the God of the universe. He's, he could do anything. He could do. He could create a whole new species and have him have them serve him flawlessly. He could kill us all and start over and do it right. He measured the sea in the palm of his hand. Everything so delicately and wonderfully made for us to enjoy life. And, and he sends us an invitation. He says, I want you to come and sit with me. You have, a, you have a special honored place at my table. And he doesn't say it in this story, but I'll finish the story here once I tell you the other part of it. Another place in the Bible, it says that when we finally sit at that table... We're not going to serve him. He's going to serve us. I can't even, I can't even, in my head, I can't even go there. <laughs> to see Jesus put that towel back on and walk up to me and say, I'm so glad you're here. I've loved you and missed you so much. Eat with me and eat with my people, your brothers and your sisters. I'm going to want to jump up and say, take my seat, Jesus. I'll do it all. I'll work for you. He goes, no. He's going to say, no. That's Martha. I made you to be a Mary. Let me serve you. Because he's going to say, don't you understand that whoever's the greatest here gets to serve and those that are not great here have to be served because it's the exact opposite as it is in this world when you get there you're going to have this gnawing desire to want to serve just like you have a gnawing desire to get to the top of the ladder here but only certain people are going to be given the honor and the privilege to serve why? Because they were a son and they served on the earth. And so this king sends out all these invitations. Come. Come to my house. And the story says that all these people began to make excuses about why they couldn't make it. Well, I just bought a new house and that's taken a lot of my time, Lord, and you know, you know I have to do things on this earth, and you know, you know I have to work and make a living, and and Lord, I just married a new wife, and I got to take care of her, and and I just I don't have time to to do that right now, and another guy says, well, I just bought a new car. Back then it was oxen. I need to go get it fixed and tricked out, and I got some things I got to do with it. And I got I got all these things going on in my life that I don't have time for your invitation. What was the invitation? To know him. 
Paul says toward the end of his life. God, I mean, we're trying to get to the status of Paul only, let alone Jesus, right? I mean, like, if I could just be like Paul. And that Paul, toward the end of his life, prays this prayer. And I know he prayed it in agony. I know he prayed it in tears. And I know he prayed it on his face in a dark jail cell with his hands lifted high. That I may know you and the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your sufferings. Being made conformable to your death. That I may know you. Why did he say, in the power of your resurrection, made conformable to the suffering? Why did he say that? Because there's no greater way to know God. And to put yourself in the position of suffering for him and for others. And there's no greater way to know God than to live in the power of the resurrection. Which means no moment of, of seemingly momentary death catches your attention. Because you know you are a son. And you know that only, the only thing sons can do once they're killed... Is rise. I don't care if somebody's being mean to you, your husband's on you, your wife's on you, your boss is on you, and you're getting just crucified. You know I'm a son, and this death will not hold me down. Just give my father a minute, and the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me, and I'll rise. Because as a son, you know that the most valuable thing you will ever possess in your life is an invitation from the Father. Why did He send Jesus? So we could know Him. Everybody had a wrong idea of God. We still carry it over in religion. Like this guy carrying thunder and lightning bolts and God's going to, you know, better not lie, He's going to strike you dead. No, He already struck you dead. In Christ on the cross. And that man will never recover unless you let him. If you don't let him, he's destined to be down and stay down and to be subjugated and to be ruled by the new life that he's placed inside of you. To know him. That's my prayer all the time. When I get with Jesus, I'm like, God, I want to know you. I want to know you because people need to see you. They don't need to see me. They don't need to see my opinions or my theology, though I'm, I'm partial to it. They, they, they never will be. They need to know you. You say, well, that, that person over there, he needs some help. I just don't have time. There's always invitations. It's always invitations. What do we do with them? He wants us to know him because that's the only way he's going to be properly revealed to the world. A broken, fragmented son will represent a broken, fragmented father. And even though he's not broken and fragmented, we have the power to represent him as that. What do you think the spirit of religion does to him every day? What do you think the wrong idea of God that you have in your mind is going to do when you show up to fully represent him? Because God's, the, the mandate doesn't change. Your job is to represent him, and he puts you in positions every day to do so. How you do so is up to you. He's not going to just, well, let me get him ready first, and then I'll let him represent me. 
No, you're already representing him. You represented him yesterday. And you represented him the day before and the day before and the day before. If you claim Jesus as your Messiah, you represent the Father in the character that you've chose for your life every day. That's why you need your personal time. Because that's where he that's where he takes your character and says, This isn't like me. And the demon wants to say, See, he rejects you. You've done all this wrong. But no, that's not the truth. What the truth is, is that he's bringing that up, not because you're so bad, but because he's so good and he wants you to be a full, proper representation of who he is. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And now God so loves the world that he gives us as sons. Creation, the world, Heathens, people, geography, businesses, land, agriculture, they're all groaning for you to reveal who he is. Stand with me, please. If anything I've said this morning has stirred your heart, I just want you to take a minute with Jesus to just stop and just tell him whatever's on your heart whatever's on your heart just close your eyes if you need to repent from something that then just repent if it's a mindset you need to change like lord i just i've had a wrong mindset i i thought i was doing really good but my old glory's been holding me back i thought i was i thought i was doing really good but I thank you that you've showed me that I need to change so that way you can be revealed. And it's an honor and a privilege for you to choose me, to reveal your nature. It's an honor and a privilege that you would send me the invitation. Maybe some of you need to repent for not accepting the invitation as you've been too busy. You're telling God all the stuff that you got to do and, and he's just like, no, just come just come be with me for a minute. And I'll help you do all that stuff because I want to do it with you. See, repentance means changing your mind, how you think about life and God and purpose and reality. Just changing your mind. Like, oh, wait, wait a minute, I was thinking wrong. God, help me, help my mind come into the full power of the mind of Christ that you've given me. Abba, I just come before you and I want to represent you. And Lord, I ask right now for every heart in the room that has the same passion as you've given me to know you, that they would come in their heart and they would lay before you and cry like Paul, God, that I may know you. That I might know you, God, in the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your suffering, that no price is too high. God, that I may know you. And as hearts cry out over this room, God, I ask that you by the Holy Spirit just transform them right where they are because it only takes a moment with you just to turn everything around. It only takes a moment with you just to turn everything around that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable, being absorbed into his death. That my purpose is you. It's always been you. To know you, it's not ministry. It, people are the overflow of knowing you. 
that I may know you. If that's your heart, just let him tell him. I don't want to know what I think I know about you. I want to know you as you are. You have a place for me at the table. You've reserved a seat for me, God, right next to you. And let me come. Overwhelm my heart. Reveal, Father, the the weakness of all the things we make the excuses for and just remove their power from us that we might be able to see you clearly. Stir the hearts of your people again that the purpose that you originally created in the beginning would be established of you and us walking together in the cool of the day, time with each other. And out of that time and out of that fellowship, we birth nations. We birth generations. We birth, we be fruitful and multiply because we're connected to the source. Help your people understand they're not here just to beat, beat problems every week and win small little battles and rejoice over things that you've already given them complete life over. Help them understand that the reason for living is to reveal who you are. So God, I pray if anyone in this room doesn't know you, as you really are, that you would show them who you are. And they would emulate what they see and they would not be distracted with money. Money that's just gonna be pulled away from them anyway. Money that's just gonna be just, someone else is gonna take it and sell it and spend it. Someone else is gonna use it for their own kingdom and their own glory, their power. Someone else is going to live in their house. Someone else is going to drive their car. All the things of the world are going to be removed away. We're left standing naked, standing with one thing. Did you know me? I sent my son so that you could know me. That I would remove all the false ideas of who you thought I was. And I would show up because I died on that cross too. Jesus says that him and the Father are one. And he prayed that before he went to the cross, which means God the Father hung there for you just like Jesus did. He was so desperate to get us back. He was so desperate that they did it in unity. They did it in oneness. They died together to bring forth the value of what they placed in us that was lost. The Father's for you. Are you for him? Are you for the Father? Or are you making excuses? I'm busy. I don't, I've got something else to do. Father, I thank you that Revelation 4.11 says that we were created for your pleasure and for your glory we were made. Because when you are glorified through us, you're pleased. Because it takes faith. It takes relationship. It takes obedience. It takes suffering. Forgive us, Father, as a church not willing to suffer for others. Forgive us as a body for not being willing to suffer for others, let alone for you. That every time we have to suffer for someone, we're put off and we're upset and we're, we're miffed and aggravated. But that moment of suffering is the invitation to be just like Jesus. 
forgiving us for not taking our invitations to be like you. We're not stopping long enough to say, God, what do you want to do? This is a hard situation. I don't know. I don't know. All I know, all I, know I want to do is reveal you. However I do that, it's up to you. But I just want to reveal you. I need you now. I need you in this moment. I need you in my marriage. I need you in this circumstance. I can't do it. But if you'll let me reveal you, I will. Show me what to do. Show me what to say. He's going to say, son, daughter, that's all I was waiting for. See, he wants to live life with you. He wants to work with you. Do you understand how much creativity he gives you, how much latitude he gives you? That you can do it however you want. And he's there to back you however you want to do it. But if you do it wrong because you're not focused on him and you're doing it for yourself, that's why judgment, that's when judgment gets scary. But if we're always walking with him and we're always doing it with him in the nature of Jesus, then we have nothing to fear. So, Father, those people who have reached their hearts to you now, I just ask that you would concrete it and seal it by the blood that no enemy or thief would steal this seed from their heart. Father, I ask that you'd send your rain and give increase to the word of the Lord. That they would be like righteous trees planted by rivers of living water. Flourishing, bearing fruit for the nations to come and eat from wherever they're planted. No job in here is too minuscule. God placed you there specifically because you are his light. He chose you to be right where you are because people need to see Abba in your element. We worship you, Father. We thank you. We bless you. You are so good to us. Allow that nature to come completely fill us so that we can be so good to you. Returning unto you what was yours. We thank you, Father. We ask these things in Jesus' precious, mighty, powerful, holy name. Everybody say it with me. Amen.